Hey folks. So this week uh, I'm speaking with uh, uh, Laura Bassett, who's uh, along with me, the co-founder of the Save Journalism Project, uh, and uh, Nick Charles, who works with us as well on um, the Save Journalism Project. They're two awesome reporters who, like myself, have either been laid off or gone through the ringer of uh, the turbulence of the news industry these days. But before we get into the conversation about sort of how the industry is faring in general and what's happening as a result of the coronavirus to us. Um, I just wanted to sort of give you some, 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 some nut top line numbers as of the recording of the podcast. Uh, and these are really very sobering. They are definitely not going to be the end of what's happening to our industry because of this um, uh, uh, pandemic. But this is just, you know, in a couple of weeks, this is what we've seen so far. At least 684 news outlets have announced furloughs or pay reductions of some sort. 243 journalists at least have been laid off. Uh, that number, though, is probably much higher. Uh, at least 15 papers have been closed or suspended all publications. Again, that's, those are very preliminary numbers that uh, uh, we will likely see increase over the coming weeks and months as the economic devastation of, of uh, the coronavirus uh, really sort of sets in with the industry. But it's also had a human impact on our industry. Um, at least 25 journalists have uh, contracted the coronavirus that we know of in the United States. There's no one keeping track of this, so we're mostly pulling this from either people we know personally or um, uh, people who have posted on um, Twitter or folks like you know Chris, Chris Cuomo who um, announced it on a, on a show. Um, so that number is probably much, much higher as well. Um, and at least four journalists have died. Uh, Maria Mercader uh, from CBS, Zororo Makamba, uh, who was a 30-year-old 30 30-year-old 30 television journalist in Zimbabwe, Larry Edgeworth, who was an NBC employee, uh, and Alan Finder from the New York Times. Um, our our uh, thoughts and prayers obviously go out to their families. It's a tragedy that, that anybody uh, in the world has, has died from the coronavirus. Um, and for our industry, these were all major hits. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, no more uh, journalists will, will pass, but I'm sure that's not in the cards given the, 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 the widespread damage that this, this virus is doing. I'm John Stanton, and this is The 30, the end of the news. All right, well, uh, Laura, Nick, welcome to the apocalypse. How y'all doing? We are in the middle of the apocalypse and we're still here. <laughs> killing it, John, killing it. So happy to be alive. <laughs> wow, that's grim, yo. <laughs> um, so uh, how are things in New York? Things in New York are dire. Um, um, after seven and a half years outside of New York, this is the only upside that we don't live actually in New York anymore. Um, so we're just um, 45 minutes north of the city and, you know, family and friends who are in Brooklyn, um, like Laura, and my mom and stuff, I worry about every day because um, as it is, uh, the way this thing is going, I don't know when <clears throat> I'll be able to go down there and, and, you know, say hi or, or partake in any kind of social gathering or anything. So we're talking weeks, if not months. And you just keep getting a steady stream of information that just makes you more and more depressed and gets you more and more panicky 
and talking to your friends and trying to, you know, act like everybody's dad when everybody knows what they're doing. So that's how we're doing it now. <laughs> yeah. How's, uh, how's Brooklyn, Laura? Oh, it's pretty rough down here. I, I mean, I was all cheery going into this a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know how long it was going to last. And also, you know, as a freelancer who generally works from home anyway, and also as, as an introvert who spends a lot of time at home, I was like, I mean, this is pretty normal for me, like spending 90, 95% of time in my, in my place. And I knew it was going to be hard for especially all my friends in journalism who newsrooms are closed and they're having to work from home. And that's like very new to them. But even I am, am going insane. Uh, like, th this is nuts, just not having human contact for weeks, everything being closed. I injured my neck the other day, and there was, like, not really a place where I could go to get any kind of treatment. Um, you know, and the, the lack of testing, a lot of my friends uh, are sick, and it's not bad enough to go to the hospital. And, you know, in New York, you can't get a test unless it's, like, your dire on your deathbed. So everyone's just kind of sitting at home, hoping that they continue to be able to breathe and... Um, and you know, we, we don't have a sense of when it's going to end. So it's, it's pretty rough up here. I know it's also pretty bad, uh, in new Orleans, right? Yeah. Um, it's pretty bad here. Definitely. Um, I think one thing that's different about New Orleans than, than other places, um, is, uh, we're not really going out, <laughs> uh, surprisingly. I think that, um, you know, from like, I, I'd seen, you know, like a couple of days ago, the, like all the idiots in New York go into the, uh, to the see the ship that right. was down, the hospital ship yeah. um, you know when people going to go see the cherry blossoms in dc and florida existing in general uh <laughs> and alabama and mississippi <laughs> and the texas governor creating a list of uh, essential services that includes literally everything um you know i think that you know here we've taken it pretty seriously generally i mean we did there was a second line two weeks ago, I guess two weekends ago, and the cops had to break it up and they arrest some people. And there's been a couple of small examples of folks not taking it really um, seriously, but pretty by and large we have. Um, that said, it's not done much to, to uh, <clears throat> keep down the, the deaths in the short term. Um, we've got the highest, I guess, per capita uh, infection rate and uh, death rate, I believe, right now. So yeah. Um, and they're talking about uh, we're going to lose all of our hotel room or our uh, hospital beds within the next couple of days, and they don't really know what they're going to do. Then they got about a thousand rooms or uh, rooms uh, beds that they're putting in the convention center. But after that, it's really no, you know, anyone's guess. So it's pretty, it's pretty grim, yeah. Ooh, yeah. My my grandmother is at a retirement home in New Orleans. I I, I did a tweet about this that kind of went <laughs> went viral. But uh, we had been very worried about her because she's ninety five and. Obviously, it's it's like coronavirus spreading, spreading like wildfire through nursing homes. Luckily, uh, they have had zero cases uh, where she is, but but she called us asking us to ship her more Tito's vodka. And um, <laughs> after my tweet went viral, Tito's vodka reached out to me and said, you know, we're going to send your grandmother like a swag bag, a swag packet <laughs> of Tito's things and vodka. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's so great. And I didn't think about the fact that like, you know, it could be a Trojan horse, like bringing coronavirus into the <laughs> nursing home. And my brother was like, you know, imagine living through World War II and Katrina and all of these things. And then, uh, and then get, getting taken down by like a Tito's swag bag at your, at your nursing home. It's like, well, you know, we, we do what we got to do. <laughs> she has her priorities in, in order. She does. She wants that Tito's. Can't blame her. No, right. You know, it's funny. You, were, you mentioned um, just sort of the 
the freelancer existence and kind of, you know, being by yourself and a, a lot. And I, I've definitely noticed that here for me. Um, <clears throat> but I guess, you know, the last year I've been more or less by myself in my house for all the time. But I also left my house every day and, you know, would go to um, uh, BJ's Bar, which uh, if uh, once the apocalypse is over, anybody wants to go buy a drink, please go to BJ's Bar in the Bywater. Uh, uh, you know, and I would see my, my friends, you know, I mean, basically it was like where we all kind of got together at the end of the day. And, um, you know, even if it was for like an hour or two hours, um, you know, just that small amount of, of human contact, uh, turned out to be really important. I mean, um, you know, spending days and days alone where the only human that you see is the back of a, of a like a food delivery person or something like that, or maybe your neighbor when you go outside to take the trash out real quick, um, is uh, is nerve wracking in a way that I did not realize it was going to be. Yeah, fully agree with that. I, I went, you know, to to keep my sanity while freelancing and working from home, like kind of packed my my nighttime social life with seeing people to make sure I was at least seeing one human a day, or like going to workout classes to see other people. And now we can't do any of that, so it, it does make it really really hard. It's funny because I, I think there I have a piece I've sort of wrote, written last week and I'm just so, not I won't say not motivated, just worried and panicky and preoccupied that my kids are getting online learning, which is, you know, I wouldn't say it doesn't work, but it's definitely not as focused as that, them actually being in a classroom. And then you hear the stories. My, my wife is a photo editor and she said, you know, so many photographers have come to her um, because they are right, you know, they do work on consignment and contract. And one in particular, he goes every day and takes photographs of the empty streets in Manhattan, hoping somebody will buy it on consignment um, because, you know, the work has dried up and also people don't want to assign stuff and send people into difficult spaces. So everybody's taken from the really small pile of photos of lines like those idiots waiting for the ship and people at hospitals, et cetera. But there are a whole host of, of freelancers now who were struggling before or, you know, trying to pick up work where they can, who are now getting, not getting work because people are not around to assign and folks are not taking a consignment work. That's, that's a really good point. And it's true for writing freelancers too, to, to bring it closer to what we're talking about today. I, uh, you know, I had a couple of uh, projects coming up that I was really excited about that were both uh, profiles of politicians. Um, and both of them got canceled uh, because, you know, no one wants to be around each other right now. Um, and th th those are sources of income that now I don't have. So it's also a sort of financially precarious time for everyone, not just us, but like it's, it's hitting us pretty hard. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, uh, uh, I actually talked with some, some freelancers um, uh, just the other day, which we will have an episode coming out quite soon, by the way, uh, with, with them. And it's been, um, you know, one of the big, the big challenges, I think, for, for freelancers is, um, you know, they also, even if they're getting jobs, um, they're not getting paid enough um, and they're not being given um, PPE, for instance. Um, and I think a lot of them are really concerned that at some point soon, they're going to start to become considered kind of a disposable commodity um, by, by new shops. If this continues to go on, you know, if, if, uh, if they don't end up being able to bend the curve or if, you know, some of these states continue to act like idiots and, you know, we, we reopen the country, so quote unquote, and then we have a new spike of, of infections and we come back into one of these kind of situations. <clears throat> you know, I could see a lot of news outlets um, 
turning to to, to freelancers because they're going to be cheaper. They're going to they're going to make the bottom line a lot easier to make, and <clears throat> they're going to put them put people at, at risk. And they're going to be people who are going to be desperate enough to put themselves at risk because they got to be able to feed themselves and to to uh, 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 you know pay their rent. And you know this is this is I think a, a really serious danger. And, and there's um, <clears throat> a group called Juntos out of Arizona that is um, has sort of started circulating a, a letter online. Um, trying to call on uh, all of the uh, uh, editors and and news organizations to make sure that they take care of of freelancers. And so um, I think that's a really good effort. Yeah, well, when you're desperate, it kind of eliminates your negotiating power. And I had I had felt like I'd gotten to a place after a year and change of of freelancing where I was starting to to raise my own standards and and demand a certain amount per word and not, not just for the sake of myself, but for the sake of all freelancers, because if there's somebody that's willing to work for, you know, 30 cents a word, then it, it kind of screws over everyone else who's, who, who, you know, deserves to be paid more than that. Um, and, and so as soon as this thing hit, it's like, you, you try to say, look, I, I'm not going to work for 30 cents a word. And then they're like, well, that's all we have right now. So we're going to go move to someone else. Um, so all of that work I feel like is erased. I think you know this, this, also there's going to be a huge increase in freelancers, folks who got furloughed, folks who got let go, folks who had their, their who had saw their jobs eliminated. They're going to join the ranks of freelancers. So there's going to be increased competition. So that thirty cents might end up being twenty five cents or fifteen cents. So God knows where how much lower they can go. Right. And so the reality is, freelancers always you know walk that tightrope of okay, I don't have benefits, so when I get paid, I have to think okay, what goes for taxes, what goes for healthcare, and then what goes for living. And so now you have this huge swell of other folks who are going to be joining who come, come from, you know, relatively secure positions inside large organizations or medium-sized organizations or even small organizations who are now going to be, for better or worse, going to be freelance contractors. So even the experienced, skilled ones who've been out there for a while are now going to find that there's a huge group of folks joining them. And then they're going to be editors who may still exist and now have this huge pool to pick from. And they may just pick, pick from the folks they know. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of folks who are going to be scrambling. You know, I, I don't know, you know, in my, in my view, I say the best case scenario is it comes back in some respect. I think we're going to lose a lot of those jobs. Like we're going to lose a lot of jobs in the service industry in restaurants and bars, but I don't know if I'm where Ben Smith is, where basically he wrote the epitaph and say, you know, particularly local newspapers are dead. Um, I don't want to say that. It looks like, that could be down the road because that's where we have been heading for all these years, but in a very slow, slow march. And now we have this acceleration because of the pandemic. Yeah. Also, I mean, uh, I like Ben, but <laughs> that's a garbage take. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the idea that like, you know, the, the model of the, of, you know, his affluent Brooklyn neighborhoods uh, news site is going to be the thing that, the entire country is able to pull off, I think is, is preposterous. <laughs> I, you what, know, do you I think, think, what do you guys think about, you know, uh, p- folks who are talking about that we should get, that there should be direct stimulus aid, at least to those who are providing foundation and nonprofit and service journalism? Well, I mean, that's true, but I mean, there should also be, you know, um, a horse in every pot, right? I mean, you know, the idea that, the, the idea that, that anyone is going to give our, our industry money is kind of far-fetched. Like, you know, how about the idea that what you do is you say to the federal government, don't give us money, but start running public service ads throughout local and regional small media outlets online and newspapers. That way, 
they have some resources, but you're, you know, you're paying to run, you're running those ads, those public service ads, particularly around in this time of, of, of pandemic. And that money gets to these small, small local outlets, um, legacy newspapers and, um, and the such. And therefore that is a, an aid, if only a band-aid for a while, um, in lieu of trying to just give us money. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think that's good. I think, but again, I think that, that you know, I don't know. I'm very skeptical about the idea that, like, certainly this administration, um, a lot of the governors um, or Congress is going to do anything that is going to put money directly into the pockets of um, news organizations. I mean, look at, the, look at the difficulty that, like, you know, um, the Center for Public Broadcasting and, and NPR have, um, you know, or public television has, right? Getting their money. I mean, like, then, you know, that's every year they get cut. It's not like they're, they're getting increases at, at those places. And I think, you know, I don't know. I think that some think of that will work. Some of that, that can help. That can certainly help some outlets, but it's not like, you know, I'm not sure right now how much of a Band-Aid, you know, if you could even get the Band-Aid across the wound. Yeah, I think in a large organization like NPR and a lot of public radio stations, they have their champions. And the more this administration has pushed back on some of them, the more they get private donors to step up. Um, um, but a lot of other smaller ones, you know, fall through the cracks. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think you know, the, this is the thing that, that, is, that I think the, the pandemic has laid bare is like how broken the industry was already, right? I mean, if you look at the number of, newspapers and magazines and websites that have either shut down, had mass layoffs or are now doing these kind of weird uh, rolling furloughs. And they're not talking about just for the period where we're all at home, you know, like uh, Gannett is talking about furloughs for the entire first quarter or this quarter, second quarter, whatever we're in right now. Um, So that's going to go well into the summer. And, you know, that'll probably continue past that. Right. And they're going to have pay cuts and they're going to have people losing their jobs. And, you know, th- th- you know, that's like two, two weeks into or, or three weeks in for a lot of not even three weeks in for, for a lot of these outlets that's happening already. Right. So like the, the amount of money that was being brought in was so minuscule to begin with that, that they didn't even have two weeks of padding. Right. Like that's extraordinary. And um, uh, a sign of like how, sick the industry has been for so long and so i think you know, i just want to add that like it, it, the tra- traffic is going up i mean people are reading news now more than ever I'm, I'm looking at this new york times story that says the number of minutes spent by readers at news sites increased 46 percent over last year just this this came out recently um and so like in the time of coronavirus uh, overall visits rose 57%. So like traffic is doubling or, or almost doubling in, in places and it's not translating to more money because people still aren't advertising. And that, that, leave one, that leaves you know, the subscription model where uh, today McClatchy was saying, hey, we're going to put back up some of our paywall because we have all these, this increased traffic. And of course, remember, they, they just did a whole round of layoffs. Um, but they're saying we have all this traffic and we're not getting advertising or advertising is not increasing, the only way to capture this and to get a couple of dollars in our pocket, and some of these are subscriptions, I don't know about the McClatchy one, are going for as little as a dollar a month, some as two fifty, five dollars whatever, can help keep the organization afloat um, until this is over. But, you know, that's 
another thing is like, yes, you want to provide information time like this, but you're also thinking, okay, one revenue stream is, is, um, is, is um, damned up. And here we have to, we have this where we can actually get subscribers. And if we can get these drive by readers who may not have been doing this all along, but now are hooked because they want to know everything that's going on with this pandemic, maybe we can get them to come off of a dollar or two or three or four or five. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I think I look at the, at like the, the, the paywalls and subscriptions. And I think that that's generally probably a good idea. Um, I think that, you know, people, a lot of news, news outlets, most news outlets uh, in the history of our industry have had some sort of um, subscription. Um, and I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing in, in uh, you know, in Ireland, for instance, <clears throat> during the, um, during the, 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 the revolution um, against the, against the, the, the British, there was a, a newspaper that was put out and, and you had to give them, it was like, I think called the penny paper or something like that. And you had to give them a penny for it. And the idea was that um, a penny was, was not a whole lot of money and you got it for an entire year. And the, the part of the reason was that it made people feel like a little bit invested in the news newspaper. Right. And so, um, and I thought, think that's, you know, appropriate, right? But also at the same time, there's always been advertising. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with the number of views, even though advertising has collapsed right now, right, online, um, you know, the number of views that are going in, there's still money coming, coming in. And too often, I think, um, you know, there's just no money coming from those, from whatever ads there are into, 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 our, into our, you know, into employers, into the companies so that they can keep... Their, their, their employees around making the news, right? This is, it's, it's, it's a, uh, no matter how much, how much you, you put up paywalls, you're not going to get enough money out of paywalls to, to fund a full newspaper. That's just, you know, I mean, unless you're charging extraordinary amounts of money, you know, I, I just don't see how in the end that that is a, a panacea. Same with, with the, you know, the nonprofit model in the end, you know, a lot of those, Nonprofit models are, ba- are they're getting their money from foundations that are directly tied to the health of the stock market. In a situation like this, when the stock market collapses, a lot of that money starts to dry up. It's going to be much more difficult to get money to bring people back on because it's going to, they're going to be under tighter budgets. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, also dangerous. But, but I think, that, you know, what's something, with all that you said is true, John. I think we are poised if we can figure out how to keep these folks tuning in, reading, <clears throat> subscribing after it's over. If now, if this is what it takes for folks to come back to the news, to come back to information, to come back to good information and not misinformation, um, there must be a way going forward because I think now they're realizing the value of it because something they took for granted or didn't even think about, fine, that's done. Now they don't understand the value of it. How do we get, keep them knowing that this is not going to be our first rodeo with something like this and keep them um, keeping uh, politicians honest, government. They have seen all the missteps because it's laid bare every day in what has been going on with this pandemic in individual states at the top in Washington. Um, so I think there, there must be a way to say, uh, to, to figure out, okay, these 50 people came because of the pandemic. How do I keep them for the rest of the year, giving them news post-pandemic and also going forward? Yeah, no, I agree. And, I, and like I said, like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's um, a bad idea. <clears throat> I just think I'm, I'm a, I, I get really concerned about, about all about the, 
the people that, that go in for, for paywalls and the people that go in for nonprofit uh, models. Because too often, um, both of those end up being seen by those people in particular as the way to do it, mm-hmm. right? Like the single way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that, that you have to do both of those things or have to be, those models have to be involved either at the same place or at separate outlets or whatever. But advertising is still going to have to be a part of this. Like once the economy comes back, advertising is going to return to being a way to make money. And I frankly don't trust any of the uh, executives that are, that are making decisions in this industry to to figure out a way to to turn this around. I, you know, in part, I think it's because of the fact that they're going to be dealing with companies like Google and Facebook that are garbage and use you know these really ugly predatory um, practices to 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 keep as much of the advertising money as possible just by how they operate the advertising market because they're, you know, two monopolies that run the whole thing. <clears throat> but I mean, also like these, these companies are cutting, you know, entering into deals with these, with Google and Facebook and they always end up getting the short end of the stick. And like they, you know, they, like they, they, it doesn't matter how many times they get beaten, they still come back to the guy holding the stick. And I don't understand that. And it, and it really concerns me, frankly, you know, that, that we're going to end up in the same situation in a year or two from now when you know advertising starts to come back online for real and you start to see you know a new influx of cash into into that space <clears throat> and maybe we get a little bit of a of a jolt in the industry and you know they instead of instead of figuring out how to like a put away money so that, that so that when you hit a, situ- a a stretch like this um you know you don't have to just automatically start laying people off or or furloughing people or cutting people's pay um, but also like just the long-term viability of, of, of it by, by not allowing, you know, these companies to take advantage of us. And yeah. And I also think in an ideal world, you know, if we had a different administration, I do think the Atlantic ideal, because one of the problems right now, right. Is that in addition to the, the advertising problems we had before, which is, you know, Google and, and Facebook sort of dominating the, the digital ad market, having a stranglehold on it. Um, I think, advertisers are reluctant to advertise right now because they don't want to put an ad for their company next to a coronavirus story. Like they just don't want to advertise on a pandemic. And, and ideally in a situation like that, the government would do, as the Atlantic said, and, and you know, funnel 500 million in, in spending for public health ads through local media. Like that would be great if the, if the government could, you know, s- stimulate newspapers and, and media outlets by, you know, doing something that's mutually beneficial by, by taking out public health ads. And we, we're currently in a situation where in addition to not trusting Google and Facebook and not trusting a lot of the executives that are running the media, we don't trust the government either because you know, Trump and uh, especially, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the tweet Marco Rubio sent the other day about how journalists are, are taking glee and delight in reporting uh, coronavirus numbers, which I'm still having a rage stroke over. <laughs> um, but we don't have a government right now. We don't have an administration that that supports us. And, it, and, and this should be a situation where if there's a big public health crisis, like the government thinks about ways to support all of the different sort of pillars of, of democracy. Um, obviously, journalism is, is a big one. And right now, we are just sort of screwed from all angles. I think, you know, the issue is that, you know, you don't have to be either media friendly or chummy with the press, but you have to have respect. And that's what fundamentally is lacking with this administration. They have no respect, at least at the top, for what the media does. They like to exploit it. And I think sometimes the media goes too far trying to <clears throat> trying to seem, quote unquote, objective or both sidesms. 
to somehow placate those at the top so that you know they can keep getting access. But at some point, you have to tell the truth. And that means pissing them off. And then when you piss them off, you get less access. But the reality is that's part of your job. Um, um, you know, at this time, I think with what, when I see for freelancers and um, folks in what, you know, part of what journalism become the gig economy in terms of freelancers and contractors is that part, at least for the, in terms of the stimulus bill, they can now apply for some of this money, unemployment, that'll keep them going, but so far, but in terms of real work down the road, I worry that the way I think that maybe 20, 30, 40% of restaurants may not come back, at least local ones. I'm worried that that kind of, those kind of numbers can see could hit our business immediately. Where folks just close up shop, not even cut back and have, you know, skeleton, skeleton staffs, but just close up shop because they don't know how to go forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, you know, I think that also the, the industry, we sort of need to do a better job of um, advertising ourselves or, or um, um, advocating for ourselves to the public right now. I think that right now, you know, if you look around the country right now, um, if you're in a local, local space that is in a news desert, you're screwed, right? Like you don't know what's going on in your community. And that's terrifying. And I look at like New Orleans, for instance, where, um, you know, the, the advocate uh, staff and the staff from the lens and um, even some of the, the, the TV folks have done yeoman's work of, of providing the, the public with um, accurate information about what's going on, figuring out sort of what is happening with the government, its response, um, keeping track of what the public is up to and explaining to the public how serious this is. Right. And so I look at like how, how it was, it was done in, in, in our, in our newspapers and our newspaper and our online sites and television. And I think that has helped in a large degree, uh, inform my community about the seriousness of this. So people are taking it seriously, but there still are a lot of people that haven't been taking it seriously. It took a long time for people to accept it, even after they started doing it. Um, you know, the, when Mayor Cantrell um, first uh, decided it was serious, she canceled uh, Super Sunday, which is a big second line here. It's one of the biggest days of the year for locals in, in New Orleans. Um, and people were pissed. You freaked out about it, right? <laughs> and um, they grumbled about it. There were some people that still went out that night or that day, um, despite the fact that she had, had you know, canceled canceled it um people were still going to bars for a few days after they closed down bars um and i think that you know we but we still we did a pretty good job we were pretty quick right but then you look at places like oklahoma or nebraska or places that have very very few news sources anymore and people just aren't taking it seriously uh, my friend hannah her brother is a, a doctor in Oklahoma and, you know, they are seeing patients there. Like it is in Oklahoma and people are dying and people are getting really, really sick. And he is terrified. She puts on her Instagram page periodically photos that he, you know, selfies of himself and, you know, his PPE going into work and messages from him being worried because people there aren't taking it seriously. And part of the reason people aren't taking it seriously is because they're not getting accurate local information about their communities. And, um, you know, so they're getting their news from Sean Hannity, who is, you know, a bloviating drunken idiot. And, you know, that it's just a, it's a nightmare, right? And I think that, that, we, as that an industry, we as an industry need to start telling the public that story, right? In a way that they understand that, like, the reason that there are places that it's being taken more seriously is because there is 
like an actual news industry there? Well, I think there should be a great study or is definitely an opportunity to do something around where news deserts exist and the lack of knowledge and also, fact, frank, frankly, the amount of cases and deaths. I, I, I'm thinking now of places that we have chronicled that are really news deserts in parts of Georgia and Texas where, you know, the numbers, people are surprised at numbers in Georgia because people are not getting information on the, on the front end about how serious this thing is and not taking it seriously. And you have some folks at the top of government and on the, on the, on the state level saying well, it's not a big of a deal. I think of Texas, particularly I think of Mississippi. And if there's nobody on the ground, in t- meaning if there are no journalists on the ground in, in, uh, educating folks about how serious it is and why you should do physical distancing and social distancing and not touch your face and wash your hands and all these different things, what you have is spikes in those communities. And I would be interested to see in the, the deserts that we have chronicled, you know, we have, you know, geographic and um, spaces in these states where we know, okay, these, this particular um, community, which is represented by X, Y, or Z, it's a news desert and see what the numbers are in terms of, of infections and deaths. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to hit on, and I'm curious to know what, what you both think, but Laura, what do you think about the, um, about Mark, Mark Zuckerberg's um, uh, alleged display of, uh, of uh, charity to the news industry by giving out $25 million? I mean, $25 million to Mark Zuckerberg is, <laughs> is, is pocket change. It's like he dug into his couch for a quarter and threw it at us. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's, it's essentially like, it, it doesn't feel like he actually cares about supporting the news industry. He cares about making it look like he supports the news industry, right? Like he sees that he's getting negative press about the fact that he's starving, uh, local newspapers. And so he, and so it's, it's, it's like a, something you can put in a press release. Um, but what we would really like for him to do is to, share the like to stop profiting off of our keeping our stories on your website and then stealing all of the ad money from us like if you're going to put you know a HuffPost story or BuzzFeed story up for instance then the ad that's next to it should go to that publication and not to you um not to line your own pockets so uh that's what I think about it you know I I, I'm with Laura to, to I'm with Laura and I'm also thinking you know forget giving money charitably to just for PR stunts. This is a PR stunt. This is nothing more than a PR stunt. If you were to change or even modify your practice the way you monopolize the ad content or to actually pay the creative content folks, pay the organizations, pay the journalists, you know, pennies on a dollar or whatever, you wouldn't have to show up every so often saying, I'm coming to save the day with 25 million or 100 million. Just drop in the bucket to you. You know, people like Mark Zuckerberg and Bezos and the folks at Google are striving to get to a trillion dollar company. That's their goal. That's their end, end goal. That's the, that's the holy grail for them. Who's going to be first to that? So $25 million is a, a drop in the bucket. People are going to look at that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money if, you were, if, if you're not thinking about the, the amount of damage. You know, if you've cost our industry billions and then, and then one day you turn around and say, okay, here's 25 million or 100 million, that, that's, 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 that's garbage. That makes no sense. It's essentially, and, it's like punching someone in the face and then throwing them 10 bucks to fix their broken nose. Like, and you, don't, and you, you, pay, you throw them 10 bucks to fix their nose because on the front end, you could have, you know, instead of providing healthcare. So even if you punch them in the nose, they can get, they can get care. No, 
Now they have to go and use a 10 bucks to fix their nose after you hit them. And then you walk away saying, oh, you know, such a, I'm such a great guy, I gave you 10 bucks. And too often, that's the story that he's buying. That's the story he's paying for with this money. He's paying for, for you know, good press. It, it's a PR stud. Um, it's a, they, they shower all the, the, the freelancers and news organizations with press releases about, oh, this is what we're doing. And unfortunately, that's the story that gets out. And the story that of the monopoly and basically the strangling of the business gets lost. And it also seems, like, as I recall, um, a large part of that money is going to end up going to the companies that have, that have signed up for his, uh, his news app. Yeah. Right. And which is, which is a, which is a scam. I mean, that's the same garbage thing that they did with pivot to video and all of that. Right. So like, it's not even like he's actually helping anybody. It's just helping himself in the end, you know, like it's, it's all self-serving with him. It's, and it's, it's shocking. I, you know, for, I'm looking at news stories that for yesterday, I was so talking about Laura's rage. I'm raging that that whole big thing that Google was supposed to be involved with, with um, um, Jared Kushner's brother, um, that whole site has been scrapped. And I saw one story about it. Yeah. And I'm wondering, everybody was hyping it and building it up, and this was going to really get testing, and all of a sudden, it just disappears. The, the, the organization, the company's called Oscar Health, and it's run by um, Jared's um, brother, and they had partnered with Google. All of a sudden, that disappears. Where's that story? Because, you know, Folks don't have time for it. Folks don't have staff for it. And definitely Google is not going to you know, be forthcoming and telling us what the hell happened. That's the kind of stuff that falls through the cracks that, that, rages, that enrages me because that's news that you need to know because there are folks who are thinking, oh, this thing is going to come online and then I can go on and get a test or at least get some access to where I can get a test. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I, just, I think, you know, I don't know. Like this... The, Ah, that guy really makes me angry. I mean, he probably made he probably made more money off of the off of the the genocide than twenty five million dollars. So that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I guess one one thing I'm curious though about is uh, what have you guys seen? Because you know, I certainly if anybody for people that follow me on on Twitter, like I spend a lot of time yelling into the void about. Um, the failures of a lot of our of a lot of our industry in terms of covering um, <clears throat> politics and covering what's going on, but you know I do think that there has been a lot of really good work and important work. Like I said, you know local outlets are trying very hard um, to do work for their communities that I think has been very good. Like I said, I think every journalist in New Orleans has done um, an absolutely fantastic job uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I've been extraordinarily proud of them and happy to, to see that. Um, I think that uh, um, ProPublica is one that has done a lot of really great work on this uh, issue kind of nationally. Um, and from a politics angle, I would actually say I think that the Daily Beast has done some really good work, um, and Politico has actually done some pretty good work uh, in terms of covering the sort of national political type of thing. But you know, Laura, do you have any um, uh, examples or, or, or outlets that you think have been doing a really good job of, of covering this? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. I I mean, I've I've seen so much great work. Um, I think the San Francisco Chronicle has done some great work, and uh, you know, as always. And and I was thinking back to when we had our panel with them, um, the editor there, and she said it's frustrating because. 
Uh, we, are, you know, uh, San Francisco, it's a big metro, metropolitan newspaper, and yet a majority of people in San Francisco would subscribe to the Times over the San Francisco Chronicle, and so they're really struggling economically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, it, I think it speaks to one problem, as we were talking earlier about local news, is that even if, you're, even if your local newspaper is doing extremely good and, and vital work, um, which, like, you know, the Daily Beast has been doing amazing work, but it has, it can't, the Daily Beast can't be everywhere. It can't be in, you know, my hometown of Opelousas, Louisiana, talking about how a, a doctor's mask is being ripped off their face because other doctors don't have masks and whatever, you know, um, that's the work that local newspapers are doing. And, and I think people will, will, you know, subscribe to the New York times or subscribe to the Washington post or the wall street journal as sort of an act of like a badge of pride. Yeah. I subscribe to the New York times, but, but they don't see their local newspapers in the same way. It's like they, Mm -hmm. people almost feel like entitled to, you know, they'll be sad and people, people in San Francisco would be sad if the, if the Chronicle suddenly went under, just like people in New Orleans were, were sort of stunned and upset when the Times Picayune went under. Um, But they don't think of it as something that they have to continually pay for. You know, I think, you know, I, there's, I, I would hazard the Bay City, the Bay papers, um, the papers in Florida that are doing great work. Um, the papers in Georgia that are, you know, trying to do good work, given what they're going up against in terms of government that still won't acknowledge it, at least at the state level. But, you know, my, I'm also worried when I look at the, the national scene with cable news, that because of the, the preemptiveness of the, 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 um, the afternoon of local news by the coronavirus um, White House panel or folks um, and I see that as something that is that is re- retarding information. Um, some of the small, larger organizations are now catching on and saying we're not even sending journalists there because we're not breaking news. We're not getting hip to the fact that this is just um, you know free airtime, um, free bullhorn for the president to talk about an attack and basically do what he does at his rallies. But I'm thinking on a local level. You know, given the constraints, I'm wondering folks who are now glued to their TV, if not getting newspapers or going online because there's still a, a large group of, of, of folks in the certain age groups that just watch, watch the news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to combat what Fox does. You have to get past what CNN and or MSNB, MSNBC does and get to your local provider. What are they telling you in bite-sized morsels? Because that's all they can do. They don't have, you know, they don't have the, the bandwidth or they don't have the model where they can ex- actually go through and explain something um, that is complicated that you need to know. So that's my worry is looking at those other outlets on a national level and thinking, okay, uh, is, are the folks outside of Austin getting the news they need to know that, oh, Austin is on lockdown, even whatever, no matter what the, the gov- lieutenant governor or governor says, and what are other municipalities doing? What are other counties doing? Right. And I want to just want to point out, like, as the, the governor of Texas, for instance, has been sort of punting the, the question of should we shelter in place or whatever, um, and punting it to the cities. Uh, and, and so, like, that means each city in Texas has a different rule about what they're supposed to be doing and different guidance. Um, so how are our locals supposed to keep up with that without a newspaper in each I mean, if there's a news desert where you live, how are you supposed to know what to do? Exactly, and that's exactly it. It's like, you know, okay, even if you're online, what, what online media that serves your community specifically um, that can tell you? And, you know, post this, it's going to be the coverage of, okay, you know, the, 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 the biggest um, 
um, chunk of state governments is education. What does this mean for educating your kid come September? If there's, you know, if there's school then, uh, most likely school, but I think this, this, this semester, this year is over. Those are the kind of things you got to think, okay, who's going to be covering that? And if we can't get information on the front end about a pandemic, we're definitely going to get anything on the back end about how much money is going to go to keep your, your children educated. All right. Well, I think one thing that, uh, uh, one last note that I'd like to make here. Normally I ask uh, people for, um, to give reporters coming up, uh, life uh, advice. Um, but in, <laughs> in this case, I think I have a message I want to give to people that are, are listening, um, including, and maybe even especially people that are in our industry. Um, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, uh, given that the, the topic of this podcast and what I, you know, what we do for a living, but I am going to say that I think people need to not watch the news as much as they do right now. Um, especially the cable cable networks. I think that they are doing, um, in a lot of cases, good work, particularly, I think CNN has done, um, a lot of, of good work, especially their folks that are sort of out in the field. Um, but I've noticed a very troubling thing with a lot of my friends, um, uh, both in the industry, but also just regular folks that I know, like here in New Orleans and other parts of the country, and that it's, there's this sense of dread and terror that, uh, is, that is becoming um, not even just common, but, but all the time for people. And, and, it, and it's driven, I think, by a lot of the constant sort of listening to the news, like the repetition on television, you know, because they're filling an hour every hour and hearing, you know, the, the, the numbers uh, all that time and having to also hear the president be an insane maniac. Um, and I think it's important that you, that you watch the news and that you read the news, but don't spend all day long listening to it. I think it's becoming um, a mental health problem for, for a lot of people. And that's going to have a long-term um, effect on, on, on you as individuals and us as a society. And so um, take a break, you know, go sit in the backyard or on your stoop or on your, on your uh, fire escape or something, or, or, you know, read a book or take a nap or whatever, <laughs> but don't, uh, don't, um, you know, blow your brains up with all this crazy stuff. Cause all it's going to do is make you feel like garbage. I agree with you because I, I, well, you know, it's part of my job and part of my business and I, I need to, t I know I, I was telling Laura, I, you know, I'm all crushing on Andrew Cuomo, so I got to watch that. And then sometimes I get a little bit of Phil Murphy from the governor of um, New Jersey, but yeah, I got to step away because the patterns I notice, especially when the armchair anchors who have never gone and interviewed anybody um, sitting there pontificating and then, and the Chiron in the back is always breaking news, even though the news is you know, 24 hours old or 12 hours old. It's like breaking news every five minutes, really, people? You know, so for me, I need to take a break and, and I'm in the business. And I, I got to say, be very selective about when you want to, to get the information you need to get and tune in when you need to tune in and tune out when you need to tune out. And as far as advice, I don't know advice. I had an interview with the University of North Texas there, Mayborn School of Journalism last week. And I, you know, maybe I should have taken my own advice and gotten a professional degree and, you know, MBA or law degree because I don't know what the landscape is going to look like. And I would, I, you know, before this, I was thinking, okay, five years from now, I think we all thought, okay, we have five years or some period of time, but I don't know what it's going to look like in December. So. All right. Well, Laura and Nick, I appreciate you guys uh, joining me. Stay safe out there. Um, and um, good luck. Thank you.
Thank Stay you, safe, Laura. Bye, Laura. Bye, guys.